Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Vampires Never Get Old, a podcast about vampires in literature. We are your hosts. I'm Zoraida Cordova. And I am Natalie C. Parker. And that was very strange, uh, introducing somebody that is not Danielle Clayton, when Danielle Clayton is our very special guest on this podcast. A little bit about Danielle Clayton. She is the COO of We Need Diverse Books. She is the author of many incredible novels like the Bell series, Tiny Pretty Things, which is forthcoming from Netflix as a TV show. And she is just a general badass and writer of amazing books and also my personal troll. So <laughs> welcome, Danielle. You're my troll, too. <laughs> it's not a podcast on trolls. Otherwise, it would be your origin story. <laughs> We're talking about vampires today. Yes. And usually, Danielle and I have a podcast, Deadline City, uh, where we talk about publishing and writing and the general mayhem that we are always under. Correct. Sigh is our lives. Why aren't we immortal? Because then we would have all this time to do our books <laughs> and do all the things. So before we get into the podcast, I want you to tell our listeners our meet you, you and Natalie, and then you and me. I met Natalie C. Parker at Romantic Times, and I think it was in Texas. Yep. And Romantic Times was an event where all the romance readers of the world would come together to meet romance writers, but they added a young adult literature track. And I was on it one year, and so was Natalie Parker. And I saw her, and I was like, she's so cute. I want to be her friend. <laughs> and I met Julie Murphy then, too. And I was like, I have to be Julie's friend. She's so grumpy. I love her. And then we started doing stuff. We, like, did a workshop for We Need Diverse Books. Mm-hmm. And I was like, she's so smart. I want to I do this with her. And I think that was part of our meet cute. I was like, I'm going to get that girl. It definitely <laughs> was. I think because the, the workshop happened right after Romantic Times and we stayed up like late into the night. Like we were two girls in high school just talking and dreaming and making plans. And then not like maybe even a year later, we had started to do some big things together, um, big workshops and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's definitely our meet cute. Yeah. Yeah. Zoraida, did I? I think the first time you spoke to me was at a romantic as romantic time too. Um, we had this like slumber party thing, and I was like, "This is weird. I don't like this." <laughs> and she was so in her silk pajamas, so happy with herself. All this hair with cocktail. I did not have silk she pajamas. She was just like, "Hello, I'm here. The party can begin." And it was like that kind of energy. She should have had like those little kitten heels with a little like fluff on it because that's how she was walking around. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Zoraida has always been a vampire. <laughs> Yes. Yes. And so, and then she invited me to come to Puerto Rico and we hung out and we did a writing retreat. Um, 
And like our meet cute was that we had to share a bed and then we were best friends forever after that. <laughs> the romance trope, but like friends. I know. Two friends, one bed. And also you don't share a bed with many people. So I feel very honored that you let me sleep next to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like my go-to sleep partner on when we're traveling. I'm like, I'm sleeping with Zoraida. <laughs> Dear Twitter. So basically, we have been friends and we were so excited that you decided to uh, contribute a story to Vampires Never Get Old, our little brainchild. I mean, you basically had no choice. Once once we approached you, (laughs) you had to write for us. I didn't have a choice. I was dragged into this. I had to write a vampire story. But what was so great is that this vampire story really helped me figure out a larger story that I wanted to tell. And I will always credit this anthology with me figuring out what the this big world that I want to work in. So also, you don't say no to Natalie and Sabrina. They're two of your best friends. You just can't say no to them because you Actually, will pay. Actually, I think we asked you. I was like, hey, you're, you're, yeah. writing a, you're writing a story for Vampires Never Get Old. Just thought you should know this is the deadline. That sounds right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> My name was on the list, and it was just like, this is what's happening. So mm-hmm. I'm here mm-hmm. for it. I'm, I'm here for it. It's fine. Excellent. <laughs> so today our, our topic is Black Vampires. And we know you have a lot of feelings, so we want you to be able to, 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 to talk about it. Yes. Thank you for letting me do Black Vampire, sort of, and then also us dovetailing it with Fledgling by Octavia Butler, and then, like, talking about my short story. I have a lot of feelings, because vampires have been part of our pop culture um, and media for so long, but the way they're translated into other cultures and communities sort of frustrates me, because I guess I'm looking for things that I'm just not finding. So if I can, like, start with my complaints about vampires that show up on TV first, (laughs) and then we move our way into List your complaints. Okay, let's start with Mr. Marcel from the originals. First of all, the originals as a TV show that was on CW should have been called Marcel and the white women he loves because <laughs> Jesus Christ, Marcel like was a slave and his dad was a slave master. And then he's a vampire and he's in the house with the Michelsons and he's in love and like, he's in love with the same white lady all the time and he gets other copies of the same white lady and they never address race ever. They just don't. And it's in new Orleans. Like you cannot talk about new Orleans without talking about race period. And so this one really bothers me. Marcel bothers me deeply in my bones. And I've been I've been screaming at Zoraida for like three weeks because we were doing like a binge rewatch of the whole series. I'd never seen Just it, so this was my work. first time uh, going into it, and I was and a lot of the 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 same mythology problem with giving somebody a naming convention of people of color so all the like there's like a specific werewolf clan that was just completely massacred by the other werewolves and this werewolf clan is supposedly has a spanish last name and all the actors are latinx but they don't never address it and then you have all the white vampires just murdering all of the latino vampires and i was like 
this is a problem. So the race issue in the originals is very much similar to your the problems you have with The Witcher. Yes, where the details of sort of what makes for culture aren't pulled through and translated into the fantastic or into the supernatural. And so if you tell me that there's a black vampire, black with a capital B, meaning and denoting culture and community, I expect to see some of that in the translation of vampirism. And so we don't get to see what is it like to be a former slave that is turned into a vampire by a white man who is now your sire, right? And there's power dynamics that they explore sort of power dynamics in sort of like alpha male, beta male, like who's going to be the king. But when they don't add the racial component, right? you know, none of this stuff is translated into what a black slave-based, former slave-based community would have looked like once they became immortal. How would they move through the world? What would their customs and cultures be like? How would they get along with werewolves and witches and other marginalized groups? How would they organize their community? None of it. None of it is there. I mean, it's a CW. So what am I like? I mean, what more can I ask for there? But they have all these flashbacks. (laughs) Even in True Blood, even in True Blood, the first question that Tara asks Bill is, did you own any slaves? And, like, Suki's grandmother is like, Tara, how could you ask him that? Oh, inappropriate. And she was like, I want to know. Like, that's, you were, you lived in this area uh, in the South when you returned during the Civil War. Like, this is a question. So, for all its faults, at least, like, True Blood asked the question. Right. And they did Tara wrong, too. We can bring that up because she was pining after that white boy. And I was like, girl, he ain't even that cute. Like, come on. And so she was all after him. Look, and, you know, I brought him up, too. And he was she was pining after him, chasing after him in love. And he wasn't giving her two looks. And I was like, can you give her a black love interest, please? Like, oh, my goodness. I'm so this tired is, it's really- of that. It's very interesting to hear you um, put these side by side like this. Um, I watched the originals when it first came out. I sort of watched some of True Blood. I remember reading the books more. Um, But to to see the the examples of black vampirism sort of lined up like this, it really starts to look. I mean, we know it's intentional, but to to remove the um, the black vampire from a sense of community in a way really disempowers them from go um, and makes them in a way just maybe um, less intimidating um, mm-hmm. to basically drop them into an otherwise pretty much predominantly white community, at least as far as the show is concerned, Um uh, strips their power away from from the very beginning. So these just, I guess I've never really thought about these specific examples and seeing them side by side makes it a really stark, uh, a stark practice of how black vampires have been treated in popular media. And I think it's something to talk about because we always talk about like, oh, how I love all of these creatures. And I think that they're so interesting. And I love the backstories of the creatures and everyone's sort of redoing them and trying new things. But I want to say, like, are we actually 
redoing them. If it for me, it feels like painting the roses red, where you say that this is a black vampire, but it's really just a white vampire in all intents and purposes, played by a black actor. Um, the world building at the at the depth and at the root does not translate. And I feel like it is a failure of imagination. And it really bothers me because if we go through every single vampire on TV that is black, it's the same thing. Whether it's Mr. Trick, which I hate his name from Buffy. Um, Blade is half immortal, half human. And I feel like, again, I'm like, so what does that actually mean? How is that actually translated in the universe? Uh, and Vampire in Brooklyn is just cheesy and ridiculous. Eddie Murphy. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? Again, it's the same thing. He's just in the hood. He's a vampire. He's basically count down count, but black and bad in the hood. So it's like not even... It makes no sense to me. I can't enjoy it. I just can't enjoy it. It's it's clownery and it's buffoonery is what it feels like to me. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I just feel like they're wasting they're wasting it. I'm like, come on, friends. Absolutely. Let's actually translate something at the root. So what do you want to see? Oh my God, how much time do you have? We only get like 40 minutes in this podcast. <laughs> I want to see what vampirism looks like in a black American tradition, also an African tradition, whether it's East, South, West, North. Um, I want to see what blood means and how it is interpreted in those communities and what it means to drink the blood. Um, I want to know their interactions with the sun I want to see a new interpretation of what kills them versus the garlic, the holy water, the steak, all of that iconography, which feels very much like religious to me in the Catholic church. It has like all of that. I don't know why that is evoked for me because whenever there's a vampire, I feel like, oh, the church, you can't go in a church, right? It is. I want to see all um, that. The only, I, in YA, the only author I've see, I saw play with that was Cassandra Clare in The Mortal Instruments. So because Simon is Jewish, when he turns, he can't say the word God. And he mm-hmm. also, um, he can't, the cross, like the Star of David is, is has the same effect as a cross, depending on your religion, right? Um, and so we ask all, these are just basic world-building questions. Mm-hmm. And I think that when, mm-hmm. like Natalie said, you're trying to make something palatable or um, non-threatening, you take away all of the cultural codes and you leave this like milk toast behind. So I think this is a good, a good point to segue into talking about the book that you selected, which was fledgling by Octavia Butler um, published in 2005, which is the same year that twilight was published. That was one of my points. Yep. That I think that's really fascinating. Um, so you can bet that the, that Octavia and Stephanie were working on both of these novels around the same time, um, and just you know the way we we know the way publishing works. So it's just kind of coincidental that both of these novels came out in the same year. Um, but it is one of the uh, you know. I, I didn't make a list, and I'm but I feel fairly confident that if we tried to come up with a list of published novels that feature uh, black vampire protagonists, we could probably mm-hmm. come up with a pretty comprehensive list because there haven't been that many. Um, and this is one of the few. So 
let's talk about fledgling and that example of a black vampire. Mm. I have a lot of feelings about this. I'm going to preface this with, I love Octavia Butler. I love a lot of her work. Mm -hmm. I'm really drawn to it. I feel like she was paving the way for me uh, to be able to play in this sandbox. Um, And we can't talk about black vampires without talking about her work with fledgling. But I have so many feelings about this book and they aren't good. Because I don't it's the vampire book. That's I think that's book. an amazing point. And I'm, I just, now that we're starting, I thought that maybe we should really quickly introduce readers to it because I think a lot uh, right. for many, for many listeners, this will probably be their introduction to fledgling. So, um, Fledgling by Octavia Butler. It was the last novel that she ever published. Um, it is the story of a young black vampire who wakes up, um, in the midst of, extreme pain and chaos um, in a very real way. It's kind of a rebirth um, situation, and she has no memory of who she is, not even what she is or where she is, and she slowly has to piece together um, that she is a very young uh, vampire, and she's a very new kind of vampire, um, And somebody came after her and her family, and she was injured so badly that she uh, sort of, I don't know if they say that she regressed or if she just, the the trauma was so great that she lost all of her memories. Um, So the, the novel sort of is her excavating what happened, discovering who to trust and how to move forward again. And sort of relearning who she is as a vampire. She um, is in the body of, she looks no more than 10 or 12 years old, um, but she learns pretty quickly that she in actuality is like 53 or something, which is still pretty young for a vampire. So this is where we start with fledgling. um, And basically all the other vampires she meets are white. Yep. And she has russet brown skin and she's bald, but she has like a tuft of like really curly hair. And I feel like we can talk about how, for me, this is a work of science fiction versus a work of, for me, vampires are not science fiction. Um, And I say that it's science fiction because you find out that there are some genetic manipulation happening. And I just this is one of her books that I do not like. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. And here is why I think that I am looking for a translation again of what it means to be black into these fantastical like spaces. And Shori, the the character is really, there's no sort of cultural iconography, like no cultural markers on her besides having brown skin and a tuft of curly hair She's coded to be African-American or black American, but I was going through and I was looking for evidence of that. Right. Um, and I, I like my books a certain way and I, I want to feel it. I want to taste it. I want to know what that means. And I feel like the vampires in this book are, are white people. And she is a mixture of like black genetic material. And then the Ina or Enna who are the white immortal beings. And I just also, it was just incredibly boring. You wake up with her 
and she's in a cave and you have no idea. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know why she's there. She's just hungry and she's thirsty. And then we see that she's eat. She's like takes down this deer and we get all the gory details of her eating the flesh of the deer. And then it's raining and she's drinking water and she's got to figure out who she is. And I think I was just like, Oh my God. And maybe this is the difference between young adult and adult where I'm like, we can do all this. <laughs> in one chapter and get on with the program because I'm ready to go. I need you to get your memories back faster. You know what the word hospital means, but you don't know what at first. And then you figure it out like two paragraphs later. Like, I think I just didn't like the telling of the tale. And that's on a me. That's probably because I'm fussy. I'm a fussy reader. But you know what? We talked about this um, last week with Julie when we were discussing Twilight because even Twilight, um, uh, moves at a slower pace than I think contemporary YA does. hundred percent. And, and when I was reading fledgling, I had a similar feeling where I was, um, sort of bucking against the pacing, um, because it does happen so slowly, but I also wonder if that's a part of, of how we have grown as readers over the past decade, 15 years. And now we've seen a lot of the narratives that, um, tease out information like that and, and our tolerance for it maybe is gone. So, and, and maybe it's, it's YA versus adult. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but, um, I certainly think she's 53 in a 10 year old's body. Oh yeah. That creepy thing about the the sex. That's weird. Pedophilia, pedophilia. Like the whole time I was like, oh no, she's the body of a 10 year old. Uh-huh. That's how she's coded in the world, but she's supposed to be 53. We're supposed to buy that she's this grown ass woman. And all I kept thinking this is just again, me by 2020 context onto something that was written a long time ago. And I'm like, I actually don't want to read about a 10 t- a year old, a person with a 10 year old body who's actually older, but messing around with a man who is grown and sees a 10 year old and is like, Oh, but you're 53. So we can do nasty things like no, (laughs) ma'am. I, something about it. Just, I couldn't rock with it. I was like, cause all I keep seeing is my niece. Right. Mm -hmm. You tell me she has a 10 year old body. It's game over for me. Yeah. That was very uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's gross. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, uh, something that you said about her, this not being vampires are not sci-fi to you, but this is very much, this is a biological vampire and there are yep. biological vampires and specifically in movies where it's like, Oh, we've created this thing. Right. Um, but in fledgling, this is biology, right? We mess with, um, we're trying to create a new species. The Enar species, they correct me if I'm wrong. They coexist and have coexisted with humans. Right. Yeah, they have a symbiotic relationship with humans in a community where right. they live off of each other. So which is that's kind of cool. Yeah. But so they they, de- they they developed alongside with humanity, is what is that what you're saying, yeah. Sarita? Like yes, back that's what in I the, mean. In they, the caveman times, mm-hmm. they yeah, yeah. So they are completely different species. And she brings all of these up. But you want magic to be fantasy by being a nature of what? Like a curse or a virus or you want it? Why? Why don't you want it to be sci-fi? I think I just don't like reading sci-fi. I think it's just my own. <laughs> okay. I think 
I think magic is much more beautiful than science fiction and talking about genes. And so, you know, when, when, but science is magic. I know, but I'm just saying like, we can make it a little more beautiful. I just like beautiful. I'd like the supernatural over. Also, can we talk about Danielle is, is also very bougie vampire lady. I am, and these you want a the, fancy I, vampire I, and like that's why I don't like the sweet house novels because it's this hood like backwater swamp. white trash vampire life, and I'm like, no, my vamps will always be sophisticated <laughs> and, and queenly. I just also I think because I live in a black body that is racialized, that is seen as dirty and broke and poor and all of these things have been put on me. So when I'm creating the supernatural and the magical, I want it to be beautiful and I want it to come and blossom out of the the beautiful parts of black American culture that I love, that I crave, um, that are home to me instead of sort of what is manufactured as the image of my community. Mm -hmm. And so when I see the, like, I'm like, I don't want any dirty vampires. I don't like that. I don't want any dirty Vikings either, but, you know, what are we going to do? I wouldn't have made it in the Viking time. It's, like, dirty. They're dirty. I, I can't handle it. Van- and so when I Don't you remember what Kate Elliott said to us? She said that Vikings actually kept very good, clean Vikings hair. had good hygiene. They were so, very clean, actually. Well, fine. I Look, <laughs> Ragnar Lothbrook, I would have been one of his wives if he was clean. It's fine. Okay? But when we're talking magic... <laughs> And we're, I am a snob. I'm a very much a snob. And I just felt like. So you don't want to be in the fairy ring in the mud with me? Just like. No. No. And we literally meet this character, Shuri, in in the mud. (laughs) Like she is in the mud in the cave. Her skull is cracked or she's got soft spots on her skull. She's like a mess. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm already like, oh, no, thanks. (laughs) Like I can't like. And then there's a village and the village burned down. And there's all of this sort of grotesque, super like just naturalistic imagery. And I think that it's just not my reading style. And it makes me a snob and people can hate me for hating this book. But I was just like, oh, it is not just that. It's not just you being a slob. I think it is that we talk about how in fantasy, people of color are often coded with like being in nature, being in the village, being in like in these situations and that gets super tired and that narrative gets super tired. So I think now we are, we want to push back against it because I, I don't want to be in the village, right? I don't want necessarily because we are people of color. If I'm writing a fantasy novel, it has to be in like, you know, a tiny wooden house or whatever. Yeah. Right. We have no shoes and we need to walk, you know what I mean? We don't have any like any money, (laughs) Right. We are, I I call it, I code it for in the village and like, there are places for that. And I think it is important, but I think that I've, I've moved beyond that. And even it's, I think it's the way that I create. When I think of vampires, I think of them as supernatural creatures. I don't think of them as biological, even though many, there are so many biological vampires that have showed up in literature. I, it's just never been my bag. I'm like, I want magic. And so when I was creating my short story and thinking about, 
okay, how do I translate the idea of vampirism, which is was supposed to one theory of school. I talked to Tessa Gratton and she told me all the theories of vampirism. <laughs> we went through all the details. She was like, there's the, you know what I mean? One is like a virus. And we went through all of these things. And I thought, is it demonic or is it? I like, is the vir- it I like viral I mean, vampires for sure. It is like, because virus is a good metaphor for colonization. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, this, I'm going to go. I was like, Tessa Gratton School of Vampires. I'm going to pick house virus. <laughs> and <laughs> I decided to take like what would happen to a vampire bite if black Americans while enslaved were bitten by their slavers. But as they were transitioning into being a vampire, their ancestors, which are, which is super important to the black American community. If their ancestors sent something to them to give them, to help them cope in the way that black people have created methods of coping with with all kinds of horror. I thought, what if the, what if ancestors sent them firebirds and these firebirds protected them and also taught them the way to survive this virus, this infection that has changed them, changed them, how they mate, how they uh, have, how they have gifts, how they have community. Right. And so I started there after graduating from that school. (laughs) It's a good school to attend. And one of the things I really love about the House of Black Sapphires, which is the title of Danielle's story, um, is that it really digs into that question of what happens, what what does forever look like if the, the world that you are brought into, like if you're taken from the world and turned into an immortal being, but you were living, your reality was one of enslavement. What does reality mean? Or what does, what does forever mean in that context? Because the world that you're getting forever in is not one that treats you well at all. Um, And for you to address that question very head on, like you, you dug deep into that supernatural angle of the, the firebird coming to be, the thing that gives them leverage there. And um, I just, I I adore your story. I love the world. Um, It does everything that you, that you do in your, your narratives, which is build that like lush, um, deep kind of new world. That's very textured and rich and feels like you have, um, completely taken the world that I know and given it just a perfect twist. Like, here it is. Here's the new twist. And we're going to explore both. We're going to ask you some questions that make you think about our world and at the same time give you this new magical sandbox to play in. Um, and that's so. what I wanted to do. And that's what I wanted to do with this. I wanted to take a house full of beautiful black women who happen to be immortal beings or vampires, but we call them eternals in my world. And there's a reason why. And I wanted to say, what kind, what is black American culture and how do we translate that? I believe that black vampires, if vampires would have to move because black people are sort of smoked out or moved out 
of a lot of places. And so the Great Migration and all of these things where communities are literally destroyed, I wanted to parallel that. Oh boy, we've got to move. And, and I wanted to create that coffin of sorts, a beautiful house, to move them in and that their ancestors have made sure that the journey always has a rhythm or a purpose. And so I wanted to answer some of those core questions about how Black Americans function in groups and in families and how that dynamic would be carried into an immortal space. And um, that was really important. And for the women to read as these are black American women, girls or women, and they have a lot of drama going on and they also have a family. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about how everything would translate. And my dad actually loves vampires and he was an Anne Rice fan. It was the first book he gave me in the eighth grade. Once I'd like read through all of these other books, he was like, here, start here. And I read through all of Anne Rice and I talked to him about black vampires. And he was the one that pushed me to think through how our community responds to change and um, to pressure. And that's what racism does. And that's what all of these isms do. And I thought, I think that immortal beings would still be subject to the bullshit of the human world and create their communities and segregate based on certain things. And I thought, what if you were segregated away on the immortal tree for a while? You would branch off of it and your community would look different. So we don't have the painting the roses red of vampirism that I think happens when we say, oh, there's a black vampire or a Latino vampire, an Asian vampire. These things immortal, that means these things mean something in different communities. So I attempted to do that. I think where you absolutely succeeded. And, um, you know, as you're talking now, it's, it's even occurring to me that what you did there was, um, give us a new kind of narrative of diaspora and the constant, the constant rolling diaspora that happens in black communities. Um, and I just think readers are going to they're going to love this story and some readers are, you know, going to like maybe like learn so much and other readers are going to see themselves so clearly in this. Um, and it's exactly why we wanted to create this anthology in the first place. Which is awesome. And I've had such a great time telling this tale and being a part of this anthology because one, I got to be edited by two of my very close friends, but also I got to really play in a sandbox and really do the thing that I want to do. And you all let me sort of breathe in and lean into this sort of translation um, of vampirism and do my own thing. You didn't put any parameters on it, um, which I loved that I was able to really push in a way that when I'm looking at fledgling and I'm looking at other black vampires where I'm like, Oh, let me do the thing that I wish I had. And this is what I wish that I had after reading Anne Rice. I wish I had a black vampire that it actually felt like I was in my own community and in my own family. And that always felt like it was missing. And so, yeah. In in a way, I feel like the House of Black Sapphires is sort of an answer to the Cullens. Oh my God. Um, yes. yes. Yeah, because they're the other sort of family unit that we see like holding together and traveling together in, in vampire fiction. Um, but I really love this as an answer to that. Yeah, because yes, you can't I'm even like, count Laurent from 
Twilight as. Oh, I meant to bring him up, but um, <laughs> because he's not he's not black in the books, right. so he's only he's only black in the movie. So, and it means nothing. It means nothing. It is not talked about. It is not even. It means literally nothing. And yeah. so that's how I feel about Laurent. And that's why I will not bring him up because it means nothing. He might as well be white. And also Stephanie Meyer wanted him to be white because she didn't even want people of color in her films. So I was like, this makes sense. And the, None and of the this reasoning can- behind it is just so b- bizarre to me. Um, in an interview where she said that that's just how she envisioned her vampires as like being sparkling and all this stuff. And I'm like, don't you think that black people can also sparkle? Like we can sparkle better than you, bitch. Like <laughs> if you glisten me up and put glitter on me, I bet you I shine brighter than you do because of my natural brownness. So we can do a glitter war. See me any day you want. <laughs> yeah, it was always just such a bizarre reasoning for me for for not wanting any of the Cullens to be POC at all. Uh, but then in the in the fourth book which um, brings in all the all the all the vampires from around the world, right? We have like Egyptian vampires all of a sudden, and then we have those like super dusty Romanian vampires, like the the Dracula ones, mm-hmm. that are like yes. we are so old, we are petrified. <laughs> <laughs> They're basically Nosferatu, like, and I, I also you, I wanted to tackle, and you'll learn tackle procreation and mating in yes you the do don't world. give it away don't give it away but yeah, Danielle yeah. does something really cool with the birth of vampires which is something that we don't normally see because usually is and i'm sorry but this is also going into biology so you are like edging on sci-fi bro i am she just, not she just gave me the finger I did dear listeners <laughs> I did not edge on biology. All I did was think through how black family units uh-huh. connect. And I thought of how they would mate and how it would and how it would work. Instead of you sire or you create your family and you collect a family of uh-huh. vampires. No, I did not take the ability to birth children away from black women. Yeah. Um, at all. Uh, and I wanted, I didn't believe that if that the virus or that immortality would take that away um, from them. If and so, we could have Edward Cullen rip out his baby from Bella's oh no. uterus with his vampire teeth, which is the only thing strong enough to get through the magical vampire placenta, um, then we can have your vampires. You know, we we write in in fantasy, there are limitless possibilities. And I think that one of the things that we hope that people get from this podcast and from this anthology is that they can keep exploring the myth of the vampire. Right. And what it means to be a vampire in different places and with different people. It's not enough to just take the archetype archetypal. um I bite you, bear, ki- bite you, kill you. I bite you, kill you. You get resurrected and now you drink blood. Mm-hmm. I just think that we can do better. And I actually think we can make better landscapes and more interesting translations of what it means to be a vampire by being ultra specific and thinking through community. 
Um, and of course, I've always wanted to see a black vampire in movies and films and on TV because they're cool. They're awesome. But they never rang true when they when we didn't think through. Oh, right. There were things that happened in my house and in my community and my world and my history that need reckoning with if we're going to actually do it correctly to where it has a long lasting um, impression. And just I just think it makes for better storytelling. So, look. These raggedy black vampires in the world, I'm coming for them. My women of the House of Black Sapphires and my ward of New Orleans that I created is coming for the black vampire world because I'm over these lackluster interpretations and depictions. It's time to really go deep. And I don't know why we run away from culture when culture has all the good stuff in it. Like, Absolutely. Use it. Translate it. And think deeper about your supernatural creatures. Otherwise, we're all bored out here. It's the Mm -hmm. same old shit. I mean, vampires in particular are ripe for these discussions of power. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's time to time to change that that vampiric paradigm. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And come visit the House of Black Sapphires. It has all the tonics you need to stay beautiful. I want some potions. These will get you straight. Yep, they'll get you straight. (laughs) And you might not make it out, but at least you'll have a good time going in and shopping (laughs) on the apothecary. So enjoy yourself. Excellent. This was so much fun. Thanks (laughs) for having me on. Thank you, Danielle, for coming on Vampires Never Get Old, the podcast. That's such an amazing way to wrap up. For all our listeners, remember to subscribe, leave us reviews. uh, And if you are already wanting to read The House of the Black Sapphires, Make sure you pre-order Vampires Never Get Old. That's it for now. See you next week.